Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Jankowski, and today I'm excited to be speaking with Chris Britt, the co-founder and CEO of Chime. Chime is a challenger bank that was founded with the mission of helping its members achieve financial peace of mind. Since launching in 2013, it's become the fastest-growing challenger bank in the U.S. with over 4 million accounts, and earlier this year raised $200 million in funding at a $1.5 billion valuation. Before founding Chime, Chris held senior roles at Green Dot, Visa, and Comscore. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Peter. So could you start by telling us about your background? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I actually grew up in New York. I live in San Francisco now, but I'm originally from a city just outside of New York City, a town called Mount Vernon, New York, which actually borders the Bronx. It was a sort of a blue-collar town, which I think toughened me up a little bit and gave me a bit of an independent streak. First, my first job was in Manhattan. I worked in strategy consulting. I got the bug to come out to Silicon Valley in the late 90s for the first internet boom and got lucky with some of the companies that I joined. I was at a company called Flycast, which was one of the first internet ad networks. That company was sold to CMGI in January of 2000, really at the peak of the market. CMGI was the biggest, baddest internet company in all the land at that point in time. And they bought our little company for a few billion dollars, so that was a great exit. I was not a founder, but it was a great first taste of the opportunity in Silicon Valley. And from there, I worked at, was one of the first employees at a company called Comscore, which eventually became the largest and leader uh, company in the internet measurement space. And that company eventually went public. From there, I went to a comp- I went to Visa actually, where I was a senior product leader and was in charge with a number of new product areas. But the one that I was particularly focused on was prepaid cards. So I got to know payments and cards. I did that for about almost four years, and I was introduced to a company called Green Dot, which I was ultimately recruited to join as the chief product officer and was there for a little over, just around five years at Green Dot. And, and then uh, that was a great run. That company went public, and it's still a, a, a large publicly traded company and a company that I've got a lot, of, a lot of respect for. But that was the last company I did before starting China. And so tell us more about the starting of Chime. What were you seeing that convinced you to leave Green Dot and and start up Chime? Well, Green Dot is such an awesome company. We really invented the retail distribution of a new category of financial services products. So before Green Dot, you couldn't go to a retail store and grab a Visa or MasterCard branded card off the rack, off the J-hook, which I think a lot of people think of that as you just gift cards, but Green Dot actually invented the, the distribution of these personal use prepaid cards that a lot of low-income consumers would use as an alternative to a bank. So we targeted consumers that really didn't have any options, and they weren't welcomed by banks to open up accounts because they had bad credit or had bounced checks. And so we really filled a big need for probably the bottom 10 or 15% of, of income earners in the country and gave them the dignity of being able to shop online and have a real Visa card and use it for personal use. 
So it was an amazing company. We grew like a weed. We did tons of great deals with, with great companies like Walmart and Walgreens that dist distributed our product. And it was an awesome run. What I was inspired to do coming out of that was I just felt there was an opportunity a little further up market among consumers who actually had choice and had accounts at traditional financial institutions but just weren't particularly satisfied with how those relationships worked. So what I was inspired to do was to create a product that was more broadly appealing, not just for the young bank, but for people that had checking accounts. And, and so I knew I couldn't just do a prepaid card. I had to do a checking account, a savings account, and a traditional Visa debit card that allowed people to switch off their existing bank account relationship entirely. And fast forward five years later now, we're uh, – we're the leader in the challenger banking category and really growing like a weed. So things are things are going well. And you guys have absolutely had a lot of success. I know you recently announced the um, the big milestone hitting four million customers. I'm curious. You, you spoke to how you started with the checking savings account and debit card. Can you just tell us a bit more about the the core value proposition behind Chime and and what all a consumer is able to do with a Chime account? Yeah, I think foundationally we believe that basic banking services in America should be free. You shouldn't have to pay an institution to hold your money. They should pay you and provide you with services that are helpful and aligned with your best interests. So we offer a checking account that doesn't charge monthly fees or overdraft fees, an intuitive mobile app that really allows people to feel a greater sense of control of their money. So we keep them hyper-connected. You get real-time alerts every time a deposit hits your account or a purchase transaction happens. And we also believe that the way that traditional financial institutions are structured from a technical standpoint are antiquated. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of things aren't real-time or instant. And so we think that should be foundational for a modern, everyday transaction account. So we really focus on speed. We do things like we provide you, if you sign up for Chime and you get your payroll direct deposit, direct deposit into the account, we give you your paycheck a couple days early, which is a great value prop that people really enjoy. We believe that automation is the key to, to help people get onto a, a healthy track financially, so we offer services that automate the way that people build up a savings account balance, and that's definitely a feature that, that people really like. And we're increasingly looking to other ways to help our members get ahead financially and helping and helping them feel a greater sense of control. We sort of started with your spending and your saving, but over time we intend to expand into areas like credit, credit building, and uh, lending, and eventually we will look at potentially doing investment-related services as well. That's great. And as you've had quite a bit of growth, what type of customer have you attracted? Our customer tends to be slightly younger. So typical customer is late 20s, early 30s. They are coming to us from a traditional Wells Fargo Chase type of relationship that they generally have because their parents opened up an account for them. And I'd also say we, tar we tend to target consumers who are predisposed to pay with debit cards. So we're not out there trying to find someone that pays with a Platinum Amex card and convince them to, to switch over to Chime. 
there's actually more debit card transactions in the United States than credit card transactions. So we're just trying to, to offer a, uh, a better version of that. And our typical cu customer tends to be what I would describe as middle-income consumers. They, we're certainly not targeting the unbanked, but we're also not targeting the, the 1%. So it's sort of everyone in between, and it's a, it's a huge portion of Americans. I think another thing is, uh, another problem that we solve for a lot of people is we naturally, by targeting mainstream middle-income Americans, we naturally get a lot of people that are living paycheck to paycheck. And so by doing things like giving your paycheck a few days early, that's a real value prop that people enjoy, whether you're making 35000 or 85000 people everywhere in between appreciate getting access to their money sooner. And you spoke to how you're, you're really helping these consumers by offering a product that's, that you believe should be free. Most banks make quite a bit of money off of charging fees, whether it's account maintenance fees or overdraft fees or, or whatever, whatever it is. How is your revenue model different? Is it, is it primarily revenue that you earn from car transactions, the interchange that you earn from that? Yeah, that's almost all the revenue for the business today is we are really good at getting consumers to sign up and we get our members to convert to payroll direct deposit. And once you get the direct deposit relationship, you naturally get a lot of spend out of the account. And we, we make our revenue almost entirely from, from Visa, who, who pays us when the card gets used at the point of sale. So what's great about that business model is there's complete alignment with the consumer. They're on, we're only going to generate revenue if consumers are engaged with the product and using it as their everyday transaction device, whether that be swiping or you know, using a mobile payment of, of some sort. And I think that's very different than the, than the, the revenue model for traditional checking accounts, which are so heavily reliant on fee income it's really insane. The numbers are, this year there will be $33 billion of overdraft fees alone in America, and it's a huge profit pool that creates opportunities for companies like ours to, to develop a better, a better approach. And I think the combination of having a consumer product that provides a high amount of utility having a brand that people feel actually has their best interest and that they love and and tell their friends about, but also importantly, building it all on largely a proprietary tech stack, it allows us to enjoy a much lower cost structure. So I think when we went out to raise money in the early days, conventional wisdom was that you couldn't make a free checking account business work, but I think we've, we've turned that notion upside down and uh, enjoyed very healthy, very healthy unit economics on a free checking account. That's great, and I really love the fact that your revenue model is really aligned with your consumer's interests. Can you comment at all about the type of activity or engagement that you see with your customers? Yeah, we do, and like I said earlier, we do a really good job of, of driving people to sign up for, for redirecting their payroll, so that drives great engagement. To give you some color on that, the average Chime member is in the app between 22 and 25 days out of the month, so there's huge levels of engagement with the app itself. People are checking their balance, depositing a check, shooting money to their friends through our pay friends P2P service, and just generally 
staying connected to their money. So that sort of demonstrates the, the level of engagement we have. But then also just with the card itself, our, our average customer does almost 50 transactions a month. So we are, we are certainly the primary everyday financial relationship um, that our members have. And so I think that puts us in a good position, not just for the current business, but over time to add additional products and services that can help them achieve financial peace of mind. That's great. 50 transactions a month is really impressive. I think that's almost 2x what the average debit card holder does in the U.S. Yeah, our customer doesn't rely too much on cash, so they're using it for everyday little, you know, little transactions, coffee, coffee shop, to, to bigger purchases on Amazon, you name it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, so you've really been growing quite a bit. Um, I mentioned the, the the four million customer milestone that you announced recently. I think just over a year ago, you were at a million or so customers, if I remember correctly. Can you share a bit of color on what's driving all this growth? The great thing about the business and how it's performing right now is that so much of the growth is driven by referrals, word of mouth, and organic. So what I always tell people, the best way to grow is just creating a great product. It's not about just having some clever hack or promoting, you know, putting a a banner somewhere to promote uh, a referral to a friend, but it's creating a product that people actually feel a deep relationship and and a love for, and that they're proud to share with family and friends. So we've been we've been really excited about our results in that area. We get almost half of our new customer accounts through through you know those uh, those channels. And in addition to that, we've we've raised some money, and so we're certainly doing our best to raise awareness for for our brand, and that they're you know sort of communicating to the broader population that there is an alternative. To traditional checking account relationships, and I think we're we're really leading the charge in our country to promote the fact that there are other ways to do banking than just the traditional brick brick and mortar. So that combination of aggressive paid advertising, brand building, combined with the fact that we get that that amplification from our existing members who tell their friends about it. That's great. That's a great case study on the power of of word of mouth referrals. So switching gears a bit and, and looking more at the, the, the infrastructure um, and, and the way in which you provide your product, one question I want to ask is about your decision to partner with Bancorp. One of your, your digital banking peers has announced that they're pursuing a national bank charter, and so I'm curious if you could share your thought process around your decision to um, to partner with Bancorp first, potentially pursue your own bank charter at some point in the future. We've been really happy with our bank partnerships. We actually have multiple bank partnerships. Bancorp has historically been our primary one, and the relationship works really well. We offer FDIC-insured checking, savings, uh, savings accounts, and a Visa traditional Visa debit card. And we are we are regulated. We're 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 just regulated indirectly through the bank partners. So they're very aware of everything we do and we stay in close coordination before we launch any new products. We we work through them and through regulators and so forth. So the models worked for us very well. And I'm I'm not ruling out a bank charter at, at some point. We did it at Green Dot and that could be something that we pursue at some point down the line. But for now we were able to deliver the products that 
that we are focused on quite well with the partnership approach. And if we get to a product category that requires us to have our own bank charter for some reason, and, and that makes it a more urgent priority, then it might be something that we accelerate. But, but for now, we're really just focused on creating great products and experiences that people love. And I think our, by focusing on that rather than the very real challenge of, of managing and navigating the bank charter application process, I just think we're better focused by, by having a business strategy that's focused on solving problem, real problems for a consumer segment that we know really well and, um, and not get too, too caught up in, in some of those challenges. But again, it could be something that, that we do at some point down the line, and I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't have any, anything bad to say about people that are pursuing that, that sort of strategy. That's certainly one way to go, but we're really focused on just building out products and, and growing aggressively at this point. Got it. Thanks for that, color. On the topic of partnerships, I am curious for your thoughts on partnerships more broadly and, and I guess specifically in terms of how you might think about it in terms of um, building out and offering some of those, those additional credit or, or lending type solutions. Um, and the reason I ask is I think we're seeing over the past several years a, a trend of more partnerships in the fintech space, whether it's fintechs partnering with other fintechs or with more traditional financial institutions. Is this something that you're thinking about as you think about what's next for Chime? And just curious for your thoughts generally on, on the pros and cons of partnering with other institutions. What we, um, I think the position that we're in is, is powerful in that we very deliberately started our relationship with the consumer pretty far upstream. In other words, we, we have the relationship at the direct deposit. So by owning the relationship that far upstream, we're, we believe we're in the best position to help people towards long-term financial success because we can play a role in helping our members allocate their, their wages to the places that are going to help their long-term financial success. So I think the notion of having, you know, 10 or 20 different point solutions for different parts of your of of your financial life. I don't think consumers really are, are really looking for that. I, I think um, when I think about additional products around lending and credit and investment accounts and so forth, I think that we're going to be best positioned to offer those products, those types of products on our own if, if they are integrated into a broader solution powered by Chime. That said, if consumers want to work with, if our members want to work with other service providers in lending or, or brokerage and so forth, we want to make it really easy and seamless for them to do that. But overall, I would say for those, for the product areas that I've talked about, I think that we're probably more inclined to do that, uh, work on those, and have those to be sort of Chime-powered products. But we do have a bunch of partnerships in ancillary areas like insurance, and we've done deals with Lemonade and Root Insurance and a whole host of a whole host of companies in in categories that we're not really too involved with, or or nor do we have plans to get into in the short to medium term. And then in terms of partnerships with big banks and so forth, that like, no, I don't. We don't really have any interest in that. They're they're the enemy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
We'd love to turn to the consumer banking market more broadly in the U.S. And I think it's a really interesting time right now. You know, both yourself and some of the other digital banks are seeing a lot of growth, have had a lot of success fundraising. You're also seeing some uh, competitors from Europe who've had a lot of success there who are launching in the U.S. And yet at the same time, you're seeing J.P. Morgan exit the market for its digital bank upstart, Fin. So I'm curious for your thoughts on the market generally, how you think it'll evolve from here and what you see as the differentiators that will make or break the, the winners and losers. I think overall, the new entrants that are coming into this market are a great great long-term for consumers, right? It's going to keep the larger institutions on their toes. They're going to be reluctant to change their fee structures because they're just so heavily reliant on, on all of that high-margin fee you know, service fees and all these sorts of things. So they will reluctantly change, but I think all these new entrants are generally going to be a very positive force for, for consumers. So we're happy to and proud to be playing, be playing a role in that regard. I think the nuances and the, the reason for growth for these, uh, you know, new digital challengers are slightly different by, by market. Some of the European Companies that have gotten that have seen great growth have have really launched a rat with a focus on helping to reduce cross-border exchange fees and that sort of the wedge to get into the market. That's that's obviously not really where, where we've been focused. So it'll be interesting to see in the United States how they think about coming to market. Um, but look, overall, I feel sort of to my earlier point, I feel like we're very we're in the very early days of of uh, a new category emerging, which is this alternative to the traditional large financial companies that's being driven by technology companies that happen to offer financial services products. And and so to the extent that some of these new entrants make a splash in the market and help to raise awareness, I think that overall that will, will likely benefit us as an early leader in the market. As it relates to the larger Companies like the Fin. I mean, I don't. I don't really have much to comment about that, other than what I've said in the past, which I think is what they ultimately landed on, which is that if you're a company with the reputation and the history and of of a J.P. Morgan, why why would you create a new brand? That's that should be one of the best. That is one of the best brands in the history of American business. So you should promote that and and work on product designs that are helpful and consumer friendly and and I think that seems to be the direction that they're starting to uh, to move back towards. I think it makes perfect sense. But I think overall you're gonna see that across all the different sort of subcategories of financial services and fintech, free wins. Look at Robinhood, look at the look at the success that that we're having in banking. It's the companies that offer great consumer experiences that are low cost and not just great consumer experiences and, a, and just a slick app, but actually fundamentally changing the, the approach to infrastructure, which allows us to offer free. I think that that is a critical part of the business model that I think will benefit a lot of these more technology oriented companies that are, that are providing new solutions in the market. Yeah, absolutely agree. And like you said, it's, 
great for consumers, and that's showing in some of the interest and, and customer numbers that that you're seeing and that the industry or, or other digital banks are seeing as well. So I'm curious for advice from your own personal experience. You've spent a number of years in the Silicon Valley tech space, both uh, scaling companies and, and founding companies. Any advice that you would have for an entrepreneur looking to build a company in the fintech space? Well, I could probably do a full podcast on that, but <laughs> probably a few a few key things come to mind. First and foremost, I think I I was lucky in that I had real experience in this category. So I think in the early days when there was sort of uncertainty whether or not this could really be a thing, I would I was able to sort of get the benefit of, of the doubt from certain uh, investors who said, you know what, this guy's been in and around payments for long enough and has had some success. So if there's anyone I'm going to bet on, it's going to be this guy with the payments expertise and my co-founder, Ryan, who is a technical unicorn or wizard or whatever, whatever you want to describe him as, but he's the best, the best um, you know, technology leader that I've ever met, for sure. So I think having that you know, feeling a superpower, like like you have some real domain expertise is, is helpful. So probably making sure that not just having a passion for it, but also being uniquely qualified definitely helped, helped me a lot in that regard. I think making sure you really understand, it sounds like basic stuff, but just making sure you really understand who you're targeting and what services you're, so- you're you know, what, what pain points you're, you're trying to solve. When I hear about organizations that, you know, have a business plan of going to acquire a bank charter or something, I, the question is, okay, but to what end? To serve what consumer problem? That, we're more focused on that, right? Of course, team, team is everything, and some of the early hires that, that I made here really changed the direction and made, made the business, not just signing Brian to be my partner and co-founder, but hiring executives like our head of growth and and analytics, Melissa Alvarado, who's really the culture carrier and master of analytics and and deciding with data. She she really set the tone for the company and and helped us with recruiting the right talent and so forth. Um, Yeah, I'd say those are probably my cliff notes, abridged version of some things to consider when uh, thinking about getting the company off the ground. Oh, oh, last thing, unit economics. Make sure you have some plan for actually having attractive unit economics. You don't have to have them fully baked by your seed round or, or really even your A round, but you're going to need to be able to convince the investor that, that the map really works and there's good uh, payback periods and LTV and so forth. That's really, really great advice. Thanks, Chris. And one one follow up on on the third point you mentioned on the team, I I've heard a data point that of the startups that failed, the vast majority of them failed because of conflicts among the founding team or or the early team. Can you talk a little bit about how you thought about building out the team at the start and what qualities you're looking for and and who you brought on board? Yeah, I mean one of our values is just being member obsessed and and really being passionate and empathetic for the experience they have from 
the first ad they see or referral that they get all the way you know through the entire customer experience so just being really obsessed with all the details of of the experience is, is critical so i think we've been lucky in that we're solving a problem that is is a big one and has actually affected a lot of people that we and the families of the people that we recruit so i feel like um the, the mission is really important in in getting the right in getting the right people onto the team, and we happen to be solving a big problem and a and a, and a mission to help so many Americans achieve financial peace of mind. It, it's one that's really resonated. So I think that's helped us attract uh, a caliber of, of talent, and 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 more importantly, a a group of people that really feel passionate about about the mission. So. Making sure that you're screening for that is obviously incredibly important. And look, a lot of luck goes into all this stuff too. Ryan and I happened to meet through a prior investor that we both had, and we were both in similar life stages where we had had some success and we were ready to swing for the fences on our next venture. We happen to have kids around the same age, so dealing with you know young kids at the time, so just dealing with similar life stage. Uh, issues I think allowed us to to connect personally and formed a a really strong bond. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And so I'd love to end on a personal note. And I saw that you're quite involved with Coachar as a board member. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. Thanks for asking. I like to bring this up whenever I can, which is sort of it's over 10 years now. I've been on the board. Of, an, of a nonprofit organization called CoChart. And CoChart connects chronically ill children with free lessons in the arts and athletics. We do that by recruiting mentors and coaches that provide a series of lessons in particularly in, in any particular any particular category that the that the student, that the child desires. So it could be it could be soccer lessons learning how to throw uh, or hit a baseball. It could be painting, guitar lessons, you name it. And Coach Art sort of plays the role of the marketplace, finding the, the, the kids that, are, that could use a break from, from treatments they may be getting and helping families deal with the stress associated with, with dealing with the chronic illness. And then we find volunteer coaches who want to give back but don't really have a form or don't really know how to do that. And... And we're able to we use technology to facilitate the connection between those two entities, and then we, and then we'll help pay for logistics or art supplies and that sort of thing. So, it's just a beautiful organization, and I couldn't be prouder to be involved. I was, I joined the board over 10 years ago in Los Angeles, and then was the founding board member up here in the Bay Area, and we serve thousands of kids every year and connect them with these with these lessons. And I just think in general, we all, all of us in business need to spend more time thinking about how, how we give back and making sure that we're allocating time uh, accordingly. We actually, Chime has pledged, has joined the 1% pledge, which is essentially, you know, uh, giving our, all of the, the Chimers here, giving them a couple days every year to give back to the charity or nonprofit of their choice in the form of uh, you know, donating their time and energy, and and we spend a lot of time trying to facilitate that and connecting 
connecting Chimers with various organizations that they might want to consider. So I'm obviously always plugging CoChart, but uh, wherever they want to give back is okay with us. That's great. Well, thank you, Chris, for joining us today and sharing your thoughts, and, and best of luck with both CoChart and with Chimes. Thanks a lot, and congrats on a, on a great pod. I, I always love listening to it. So congrats on your success, and let's stay in touch.